about three weeks ago, we had this question and we, we introduced it, <laughs> and so we'll finish that uh, this evening. Uh, the, the question that we have before us, I think, is a really excellent question, uh, referring to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and Ephesians 4.23. I've read several books on how to train your mind to stop negative thoughts and focus on what matters. How does the Bible say we are to renew our minds? Uh, I, I have no idea what, uh, what books might, what some of these books might have said or recommended, but the Bible is uh, filled with uh, uh, all kinds of things about being able to protect ourselves and protect our minds and keep us on uh, the right path. We introduced this uh, uh, about a couple, two or three weeks ago by pointing out, and I'm going to give two summary statements here, that we no longer serve on the basis of law, that is, we need to get out of our minds that we are, are, we are trying to serve God by uh, simply going, don't send this time, don't send this time, don't send this time. <laughs> and uh, uh, what we would say, white-knuckling it, so to speak. We need to have a positive approach to that, and that's what Paul talks about in Romans 7. And, and that's what was introduced, Romans 7, verse 5 and 6, we now serve in a new way of the Spirit was in contrast to what we read this morning in which Paul talked about what I would to do, I do not do, what I uh, do not, <laughs> what I should not do, I do, and, and that frustration there, he said that's no way to serve God because it is, it is just going to discourage you. So uh, approaching our uh, service to God uh, by understanding what it's like to live in the Spirit and therefore the idea living with grace reigning in our lives, and then freeing us to really pursue God without always looking back and go, I didn't do good enough today, I didn't do good enough today, but pursuing God in a growth uh, process. So, in other words, the motivation now in serving God by the Spirit, the motivation has completely changed. Now my goal is transformation. Now my goal is done out of love, and it's no longer out of uh, thinking about, well, you know, I, I, I know I messed up today. Well, I, I need to think about, I know I need to continue to push myself in being transformed to be like Him. I, I would simply refer, and we won't go through this, but 2 Peter chapter 1, you might remember beginning at verse 5 that he, well, beginning at verse uh, uh, 3 and 4, he said that God has granted us uh, all things pertaining to life and godliness in order that we may participate in the divine nature, that we would actually take on that divine nature. And he says, therefore, I want you to add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and knowledge godliness and self-control and uh, perseverance and, and love and uh, brotherly love and love. And he, he just adds all these things up. I want you to grow in these things. And if you grow in them, you'll never be unfruitful in your pursuit of Christ. Well, if we think about growing, what does that imply? Well, it implies that I'm not perfect, but I'm going to grow. And he says, that's, that's where your assurance is. You press your growth 
to become more and more like him. And that's the picture that Peter gives in growth. So first off, foundation of learning how to train our minds starts with our approach of serving God because of what he's done and how that motivates us to serve him out of love. All right, with that foundation, let's talk a little bit about the process of how this would take place. And again, uh, as most of you know, usually on Sunday nights, uh, and tonight's no different, we're doing this more like a Bible class. I'm going to talk a little bit and certainly give you an opportunity to, uh, to ask some questions. So the process of renewing our minds starts in 2 Corinthians. There would be many passages, but we're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want you to notice the failure that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 3, the failure of Israel to be able to serve God the proper way and where they went wrong and where Paul is trying to get these Corinthians uh, to read the scriptures in a different way than what they've read before, okay? So 2 Corinthians 3, let's just notice verses 1 through 3. He said, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known, or other ver- some versions, your hearts, to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So you notice, in, especially in, in verse uh, 3, his emphasis is what you need to be able to do is understand that you're a letter from Christ. Paul said, I'm, I'm the one who delivered the letter. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the one who wrote the letter on your hearts to cause you to be this, this letter known and read by all people. What does that imply? It implies a complete changed person so that people can read you and see that you are a letter written by the Spirit. You've, you've been changed in your heart. Remember Jeremiah 31 and verse 33 and verse 34 where he said uh, that you are going to have the laws of God written on your hearts. He said, I'm going to write it on your hearts and you'll be my God and you'll be, I will be your God and, and you will be my people and no more will you teach everybody, every, you know, each on his neighbor, know the Lord, you're all going to know me. It, there's a much deeper thing there, God writing on our hearts. Now, that just backs up what we've been talking about. You see how different that is than, than the way the Jews would have read the law, or especially the Pharisees would have read the law, and, and of course a lot of Jews in the Old Testament. So just first, briefly that. Go, skip down to verse uh, 15 here and uh, through verse 18. And Paul says, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts, Jews' hearts. But when one turns the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So... 
Paul is dealing with how the people back in the time of, Christ, time of Moses had a hardened heart. Do you remember what they, what they did when they saw Moses' face and it was glowing after, uh, after he talked with the Lord and he came out and he spoke the will, word of the Lord and his face was, was glowing and, uh, and, and they were all afraid and, and they ran away from him and all this and he said, no, come near. And he spoke, and then when he would get done speaking, he would veil his face. Uh, why, did he, why did he veil his face? Does anybody know? This is, <laughs> this is a little challenging question, I realize. You might have to remember back when I taught this um, 17, 18, 19 years ago. No, just maybe months ago. Yeah, why did Moses veil his face? He didn't veil it while he was talking to them, but he afterwards he veiled it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. His face shine really brightly, and they would get enamored with it. They would look at. It, it never says they that exposed their sin. That would be nice if it had a. <laughs> but but they are they're really afraid, and 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 they're and they're amazed and all of this true what did that in this text he's telling us it kept them from doing something kept them from being able to see something god's righteousness god's glory think of it this way here's moses you could put it in today's term okay what if I walked up here? <laughs> Wouldn't happen. What if I walked up here and my face is like glowing and all of this? What do you think all the kids would do? You think they'd hear what I was saying? No, they're going. <laughs> and some adults would be too. You just get distracted. And the purpose of his face glowing was to draw attention to the fact that they were supposed to see the glory of the Lord in that picture, in the face glowing. But instead, they just saw the glowing. They were like a kid who couldn't see beyond it. And so after he would speak, he'd just go and veil his face so they didn't walk around going, look at that, <laughs> and all this. Of course, Paul makes another statement. He says the glowing apparently started fading after he was away and that he didn't want them to see the end of this particular law and how that would come to an end. But notice verse uh, 18. So he says, here's what we're looking for. We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. That's what they couldn't see. Are being transformed in the same image of one degree of glory to another. For this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. I want you to note carefully the phrase, beholding the glory of the Lord. Skip down to chapter 4. Speaking of the unbelievers, verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ as the image of God. What is it keeping them from seeing that we just read? What's, what, what's the key phrase? 
the glory of God again. In this case, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Verse 5, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is as Lord, with, our ser- with a- ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There you have it again, don't you? The glory of God. Now, how are you going to see the glory of God when you study your Bible? That's what he's saying. That in order for you to be transformed, you have to see the glory of God. Unveiled face, see the glory of God. Three times he says it. In order to, to, to be able to be transformed, you have to see the glory of God. Does that change how you read your Bible? What way does it change it? Okay. Good, good. We're not just reading to discover the rights and wrongs, the rules, the don't do this, the do this, etc. A lot of us grew up doing that. A lot of us grew up reading the Bible that way. A lot of us grew up hearing that kind of sermon week after week after week, over and over again. Sure. And, and, and that, that is not uncommon, by the way. It is not uncommon even in the denominational world. Uh, so you, you'd see that over and over again, just reading it in order to discover just the facts. How, how, do, I, how do I be saved and how do I not be lost? <laughs> that's all I care about. Pharisees do that? Perfect example of it. Exactly. That's the way the Pharisees read. So what Paul is doing is he's trying to get the Corinthians to switch on how they're reading Scripture so that they see the glory of God. Now, seeing the glory of God, he says, causes transformation. Anybody tell me how it causes transformation? How does seeing God's glory in your Bible study cause you to be transformed? Okay. If you can see him clearly, you begin to reflect who he is. So it goes beyond just what is the rule. I'm trying to become like him. And what happens is, as you see him more clearly in every text and become amazed at his glory, it absolutely, it's, it's, it's so attractive, it draws you to him. That's the idea. It, it, it would be, again, just like dating <laughs> uh, before you get married. You date a while, and the more you get to know each other, the more you are saying, this is, I love being around this person I'm dating. I love it so much that I can't wait. Uh, I hope this keeps going this way because I'm going to ask her to marry me. And, and you know, it's, it's that kind of attraction, which then is to continue to ramp up during marriage so that it becomes more and more glued and together. Uh, man shall leave his father and mother and, and what to his wife? Cleave unto his wife. That's not just a commandment. That is something that grows deeper and deeper if you are doing what you ought to be doing. And that's the same thing with our marriage with Christ. We are to see Him more and more clearly, and it is a lifelong experience. So my point is, in order to answer the question, it's not not just simply here's an ABC process 
first and foremost, I have to actually read the Bible correctly, and I have to have a pursuit. In order to do that, in order to see God's glory, in order to see the text, there is a pursuit that you have to have, uh, an excitement for it, a desire for it. Now, how am I going to get that desire if I don't have the desire? That's right. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 3. Taste it to see that the Lord is good. That's exactly right. I have to actually, just like any food, if you've never tasted food, this particular, you know, some kind of food, and, and, and I'm telling you, you, you've got to taste this. This is fantastic. I can't believe you've never eaten a pomegranate. You're out of your mind missing the joy of a pomegranate. I run to people in the South all the time. What's a pomegranate? You know, <laughs> well, it's a very expensive fruit for one thing, but boy, if you can afford it, it's delicious. You have to try a pomegranate. And, and, and there's it's just that kind of, of thing. You have to taste it, though. And with God's Word, that's what you have to do. I can remember quite well when I decided I have got to make a huge change in my life. And I sat down for the first time, and I opened my Bible, I started with Matthew, and I got a pencil out, and I said, okay, I'm not reading this anymore just to find out the answer to a Bible study lesson book on Sunday morning. Uh, true, false, he that believeth and is, blah, blah, blank, blank, fill in the blank, blah, blah. All, I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to read this to get to know Jesus. And it didn't take long that I couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand to be away from it. I couldn't, I couldn't stand to have to put it down. I, I, I think I've told some of you this, but I, I remember my sister uh, leaving for high school at about 7.15 in the morning, and I was already sitting on the living room couch and had my books everywhere, and I'm studying, and I look up, and she walks back through the door, and I said, what are you doing here? She says, I'm home from school. I said, what are you talking about? You're home. You just left. And she, she says, it's 3.15. I said, what? <laughs> I got to go to work in 30 minutes. So it, you, you just get totally involved with it. You get to know him. And it's a whole different thing. Uh, I, I told high school students, junior high schools, hey, quit thinking about being baptized, would you please? Stop it. You have not fallen in love with Jesus yet. Read your Bible to fall in love with Jesus. It's a mature thing to do. And it is devastating to have in your mind over and over again. Well, somebody, you know, the preacher says every week, you've got to be baptized. I'm going to go to hell. No, you're not. You've got to know Jesus. And you have to grow in your mind and grow your love for Him. Please. So critically important. You find that, you, joy, you find joy in that, and He will draw you to where I can't stand to be without Him. And you say, Lord, did you offer to marry me? Yippee, I want to be baptized. That's how that, is, that's how that works. And it's not the way it has often been taught. At any rate, there, there, there is the process, there's the, uh, the point. Now in Ephesians 4, and this was one of the texts that was mentioned in the question, but in Ephesians 4, you have a put-off and put-on principle. 
And you see that there in verses 20 through 24. Ephesians 4, 20 through 24, he says, But that is not the way you learned Christ. Talking about being calloused in sin, etc. That is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. No, if, if you really learned Christ, by the way, did you see in this how you come to Christ? You learn Christ, and you learn Him, and you hear Him, and you're taught in Him, and you see the truth in Him. Verse 22, and here's what you're being told to accomplish Verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And then he says in verse 25, therefore having put away, and he talks about put away and put on, put away and put on, all through the rest of the text, Colossians chapter 3 does the same thing. Why is it important that I don't just put off sin, but that I also put on Jesus Christ? I'm glad to see no one here put off their clothes and then didn't and came without putting on. I I rejoice in that, by the way. Why is it so important spiritually? You're going to go right back to it. You have to fill that void. That's right. It is, it is the idea that I have to start practicing something else, or I don't know. the only thing I know is what I've been doing. There's a habit here that has to be broken, and the only way the habit can be broken is to replace it with something better. <laughs> something better. So dealing with thoughts, ways, fighting the fight, in your mind and in your actions of overcoming sin is is first and foremost tasting and practicing something that is better. Now here's the challenge. In the beginning of getting off, putting off and putting on, putting off is more comfortable. I mean, putting on is uh, keeping what you have already on is more comfortable, right? That's what I've been doing. That's what I'm comfortable with. As some people would say, well, you know, it's just me. Well, the Lord is saying, I don't want just you. I want a new you. (laughs) And this is what has to happen. So there is this exchange that has to make. And if you don't put on after putting off, you will revert back to the putting off. And and this, young people have made this mistake. I made this mistake uh, you know, the good part of our young, young years, we're, we're so thinking in terms of don't, 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 that we're not realizing how important it is that if I'm tasting the goodness of the Lord, if I'm seeing the glory of God, it's just better. To the point where you can literally abhor what is evil. In Romans 12 and verse 2, he explains this. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove, test is the idea, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This is trusting God's thoughts and ways. Now see, in that text, you're going to prove that the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And how are you going to do that? Because you're going to make yourself try His ways. 
and test it. And he says, test it. Prove it. Try my ways. You're going to find it's better than your ways. I've got a whole much better thing. You can't be liking McDonald's hamburgers when you can go to Burger Republic. That's just, that's just it. <laughs> uh, there, there's, no, there's no comparison. So that's what he's asking us to do. In Hebrews 5, 11 through 14, I would suggest something else. Have a purpose in your Bible study. Remember Ephesians 5? You remember, I mean, he, Hebrews 5? You remember what the Hebrew writer uh, said there? Make, make sure you, you have this in your mind. It's so very important. Uh, the writer says about this, that is about the high priest of Jesus being the high priest after Mel Melchizedek. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you've become dull of hearing. These people have been Christians a long time. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid, uh, you, you need milk, not solid food. Um, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ, etc. Move on to maturity. That problem is rampant among Christians. Christians a long, long time have not progressed to knowing the text well enough to be able to explain it. That's our job. And, and so as you've heard me say many times, don't just study for you. You have to study for a purpose, for the purpose of being able, how can I explain this? Study the text and then go, how can I explain this? And then start, and then do it out loud. I don't care if you're by yourself or whatever. If you want to teach your dog, teach your dog. Maybe he'll listen and he'll go, and he'll think, I'm really good at this. He's happy. Uh, so the, do, do that. But you have to be able to transfer that. And when you transfer it, share it, you get, you go, oh, it starts coming together. But it's necessary to be able to communicate it. Uh, part of maturity, Ephesians 4, verse 15, to be able to speak the truth in love. Uh, so that's, that's a critical point. Uh, many texts, by the way, James 1, 21, 1 Peter 2, verse 1 and 2, the first thing these two texts tell us before we study and pursue Christ in the Bible is put away sin. Let me tell me why putting away sin before you try to study your Bible is so important. I mean the practice of sin. Why would that be important? You can give a shot, Drew. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah, you got a leaky bucket. You 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 have uh, you all the things you're going to learn. You think you're going to learn are not going to compute because your mind is filled with these other desires. You're addicted to something else, and you cannot change that addiction unless you first stop. You've got to stop. And it, it's, I know that's difficult at times. It certainly is. But we have to stop in order to be able to start studying and putting on 
uh, you keep the, the sin going on, and, and it's impossible then to get anything out of your study. You have to determine to quit, and, and that's the idea. Look at James chapter 4, and he, James will summarize this in James chapter 4, uh, beginning at verse uh, 7. James 4, beginning at verse 7. This is a, this is a great little uh, text, by the way, just to stick on your refrigerator or something to help you focus during the day. So James 4, 7, he says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. All right. To watch, you can just, you can just do an outline of this. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Um, am I resisting? Submitting to God, I'm going to resist the devil. If I resist, he'll flee from me. So when you're really struggling with a temptation, how hard are you resisting? Or do you do this um, three-minute resist, and he didn't go away, and so I'll cave in? <laughs> That's not resisting. <laughs> so uh, resist strong word. He'll flee from you. It'll go away. The temptation will wane if you'll stop. If you'll resist, he'll finally go away. He'll come back, but you're building a wall of resistance. Practicing resistance pretty soon becomes easier. That's the idea. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Okay, there again. Submitting, resisting, now draw near to him. Pursue God. He'll draw near to you. He will help you if you're really determined. Cleanse your hands. Stop getting your hands dirty with sin. Purify your hearts. Double-minded. That's talking about a Christian who's got his mind in the world and trying to have his mind with Christ. Not going to work again. You're going to fail. Cleanse your hands, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Now, we could do a whole lesson on all of those things right there, but that is critical key. You've got to mourn for your sin. You've got to see the seriousness of it. And then you have to uh, go on from there and quit taking life so lightly. This is an incredibly important point. Because you will stay in your sin otherwise. You'll never escape it unless you follow this particular practice. So resistance, self-discipline is extremely important. Ask God to help you. Ask a friend to help you. Get an accountability partner. Whatever it takes to stop, it has to begin there and then pursue God. So those, those principles, I think, are very, very important. Um, Let's go to Proverbs chapter 4 uh, and, and talk a little bit about how, the, uh, how Solomon talks about uh, how this is, this is to happen in our lives. Proverbs chapter 4, and beginning there at, uh, oops, that's chapter 5, uh, beginning there at about verse uh, 19. Uh, Proverbs four nineteen. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape you, your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are like life 
to those who find them and healing to their, to their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech, put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then you, all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Look at some of the, 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 the points here. Um, first off, if you're attentive to my words, if you listen to what I have to say, back, I should have read verse 18, the path of the righteous can be like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until full day. So you're going to find joy and true pleasure and in following God, but you will fail in finding joy and true pleasure if you follow sin. Would be a, would it be a couple of reasons why you're not going to find true pleasure in following sin? What's the problem with that pursuit, Alan? Because every time you, you have pleasure, and then you want more, and then you want more, okay. and you never want more, and you never reach where you have true pleasure. Good. Sin isn't all satisfying. It is any pleasure to it is brief and then waning every time the sin is committed, you, it's like an addiction. Well, Satan kind of says, if you just do a little bit more sin, you would find what you're looking for. And, and his promises are always, always a failure. Okay, that's one reason. Why else would we not find joy and pleasure in sin? Okay, good. Because God's not there, and He is the fullness of joy. He's the He, Psalm sixteen, verse uh, ten and eleven. He is the fullness of joy, and He in His presence is pleasures forevermore. It's not you're not designed that way. You're simply not designed to be able to find pleasure and joy in sin. Just like a car engine is not designed to run on water, and it'll destroy it. You, it, it is impossible to do any other way. Okay, so it is not the source of it. In fact, um, one who pursues that is is going to do what to their minds and brains. You know, your 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 brain actually starts physically rebuilding, reconnecting, re uh, reforming in a whole different way. It digs deep cavernous pits that cause your thoughts to fall into that pit every time you think about anything. Pretty soon your thoughts can't even go to someplace good. And the Lord talks about that. Titus chapter 1 and other passages say that you get to the point where your whole brain is just defiled and you can't even see your way out of it. So there's all kinds of sins, of course, that cause that to happen. It's a huge, huge danger. So we cannot find joy in that. Notice the words, keep your heart with all vigilance. What am, what am I practicing now? I'm keeping my heart with all vigilance. Discipline. Pardon? Discipline. Discipline about what? Okay, heart is the mind, 
in biblical way of talking about the mind, I have to protect it. I have to protect it and be vigilant about it. I have to protect what goes into this mind because what goes in starts reforming the way I think and the way I look at it. Make a comparison. How much time do I spend putting God's thoughts in my mind, God's ways in my mind, learning about God compared to how much time goes into me putting other worldly thoughts in my mind, even if they're not sinful of themselves? Yeah, it's out of balance most of the time. And so it is extremely important that if I'm going to be able to control my thoughts, I've got to quit putting bad thoughts in my mind because those bad thoughts start, I start remembering them over and again. And, and my brain will nurture them and my brain will take them to another level and my brain will just keep enjoying it, so to speak. And pretty soon I'm not thinking good thoughts at all. And so Paul talks about that in Philippians 4. Don't get rid of those thoughts. Think what about good and honest and healthy and beautiful. Think about those things that are good. But that in today's society, with the idea of uh, the uh, you know all, all the internet stuff and all the social media stuff and uh, etc., it's hard to maintain if we pursue that and we spend a lot of time on. It, it's hard to maintain those thoughts in a proper way. So keep your heart with all vigilance. And then he talks about the mouth. <laughs> what comes out of your mouth is going to reinforce what's in your brain. You're going to nurture that again. What comes out, what you see with your eyes. What, be careful what you see with your eyes. Uh, you want to look directly forward. Your gaze be straight before you. You want, to, you want to concentrate on what you ought to be seeing. Now look at those other things. Those are extremely dangerous and will bring you down. And then he talks about the path of your feet. Where do you go? So it's what you, what you say, what your eyes see, where your feet go, where your path is, what is, what is uh, keeping you or putting you in ways of temptation is the idea. And then, and then finally, he says, don't swerve. Uh, why not swerve? Because if you practice this path, you will... You will naturally stay on it so get in the habit of staying on that path that that that, that you know paul when he talked about youthful lust by the way he wasn't saying youthful lust because only youth has the lust he was saying they're they're the lust that are first noticed and and pursued in youth and old people can pursue the lust as just as well so the practice though over years of seeking god and not letting us not, not swerving. You constantly, every day you find a way to swerve, and, and you're going to get in the habit of finding a way to swerve. So don't, don't swerve. Again, there's a, there's a matter of self-discipline. Thoughts, comments on that? Then you add to that. All right. Let's, uh, let's, let's look at one, one more text here in Proverbs chapter 5. And I, and I realize in Proverbs 5 he is talking about uh, avoiding the wayward woman and sexuality outside of marriage. But whether we're talking about sexuality outside of marriage or whether 
we are just using that as a standard for any kind of sin, it still, it still works. So we'll notice it from a sexuality point of view, but I, I want you to notice also that it's going to apply to any kind of sin, because all sin can become addictive if, if we're not careful. So notice a few texts here. First verses 3 through 6. Uh, Solomon says, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. All right, so what's, the, what's one or two main things there that he says is a reason not to uh, follow the, uh, the forbidden woman? What, what is, by fact, what's the first enticement that he mentions? Yeah, her lips. Smooth talking. Smooth talking. Uh, she, she's really, her words are attractive. Her words spark an interest. All sin has that, that, that type of favor. It, it's something about it that sparks an interest. That's what Satan did. His words sparked an interest in the fruit of the tree. He probably never even paid a whole lot of attention to it until he said, don't you look at this? Didn't you look at this? Pretty cool. All right. And so then her speech is smooth like this. But what's the end? What's better than wormwood? What's that mean? What's wormwood? Yeah, it's poison. Yeah. Wormwood is poisoned. And it's, so you, you think you're tasting something good, and it's actually poisonous, and it's like a two-edged sword. It is just going to cut you every way it can cut you. Her feet go down to death. The, the end result of this is absolute death. Her path is to shield. She is representative of something, of any kind of sin, that will bring you to the point of absolutely destroying yourself. So you want to destroy your life? Okay follow her. That's her, her, her enticement's going to kill you. Secondly, look at the consequences. Chapter 10. Um, he, he, well, let's just start with verse 8. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, How I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. The, cons the consequences of this sin can be reversed. Do you notice how David was able to reverse the consequences of his affair with Bathsheba? You notice how he reversed those? He didn't. <laughs> he got forgiven. But his last has to, you, you start with you start with 2 Samuel 13 and all the way to chapter 24. You're never going to read of a nice day for David. It is absolute horror. That's the result of sin, any sin, especially sexual sins. And that, what, what would you say is absolutely at the top of the list of sins? 
in today's culture. I can't read anything anymore without it being, well, let's first highlight this. I, I read something last night that the Gen X, Gen X generation, get the generations messed up. 48% of the women, they, they surveyed over 5,000 people. 48% of the women, and I can't remember if it's Gen X or Gen Z, I think it was X, 48% of the women identified as gay. 48%. What in the world? 29% of men. It, this, this isn't a born that way. No, this is influence. This is influence. That's it's all it can be. I remember when they said 2% or 1.5%. It's influence, 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 influence. And it is continuing to do this. So we have to understand what happens here. And, and these consequences just start flourishing as time goes on. Look at verse 15 through 20. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth as a lovely deer and a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always with her in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? So again, this, this is, is, a, is a really important principle. Be intoxicated with what's good. Whether we're talking about, again, sexuality or anything, be intoxicated with what's good. If you're intoxicated with what's good, you're not going to follow that which is unlawful. Now, somebody says, well... Um, and then finally, of course, he mentions you're going to die from lack of discipline. But final thing here. What if I'm single? Okay. I've been single. And then I was single twice. <laughs> so I have a little bit of, of, of understanding of this. First and foremost, the crossing of the line will only cause you to get more thirsty. So what is it is that's tempting you? Whether it be sexuality or whatever. Whatever's tempting you. If you cross the line, it will not satisfy you. It will make you more thirsty. One of the easier parts of your life should be, if you handle it properly, singleness. You're not tasting the potato chips. You're staying away from that. You know that you cannot, the forbidden potato chip here, you're not, you're not practicing things because your flesh is thirsty because what's going to happen is it's going to make you more thirsty. It will not satisfy. But sin does, doesn't do that. Sin doesn't satisfy. So that's first and foremost. Secondly, create deep friendships with righteous people. Loneliness is dangerous. Now, I know I want to go home and be by myself because I'm so hurt for my loss. And I want to be around other people. 
And I knew that was the wrong way to do it. And I forced myself to make deep, deep connections with those who were righteous because they helped me stay on the right path. Don't isolate yourself. You need, that's why God started a church. That's why God had Christians. Be, be connected. And that takes you stepping out. Because especially if you're single, I know a lot of, a lot of us married people, we're not inviting you maybe as we should. We're not connecting you as we should. You need just, I, I, I realized, I just go to married people and go, uh, I, I need to come over tonight. Is that all right? I'll bring my own dinner. <laughs> I need to spend some time with somebody. It's good. Good for you. It's good for us. Bury yourself in the Word and in prayer. Fall in love deeper and deeper with God. Those principles you find throughout the Bible, but those are important uh, principles. So much more we could talk about, obviously. But hopefully, seeing primarily, you begin to taste what's better so that you can give up what's inferior. Easiest way to get there is that. Uh, we're going to sing a song right now, and uh, if we can obviously help anybody uh, talk to us afterward, uh, you want to step forward now and, uh, and express your needs, that's great. While together we stand and while we sing.